right now on Matter of Fact. Every football I caught, every block, that really helped keep me alive. A Marine held hostage in Iran for more than 400 days shares his survival story. All of a sudden, the guard opens the door, recording the Super Bowl. I mean, get the heck out of here. How the big game threw a lifeline to Americans held hostage over 40 years ago. Then, this ER doc treats patients with gunshot wounds. Now she's got an idea for stopping the violence. And what we found was pretty astounding. Meet the physician working to make cities safer, one park at a time. And the 5G rollout was grounded over airline safety concerns. Should anyone who's flying have any concern about this issue? A leading expert with answers to your biggest question. But first, a 40% increase in rent? It's happening in some American cities. What's driving the market and what's next for families looking to settle down? I'm Soledad O'Brien. Welcome to Matter of Fact. There's a new source of anxiety for American families, inflation. Prices are up on everything from fruit to furniture. It's the result of an inflation rate that hit 7% in December. Another sector where inflation is making an impact is housing. The Mortgage Bankers Association says rates for a 30-year loan will likely hit 4% by the end of this year. Renters are facing an equally tough market. The real estate firm Redfin estimates average rents rose 14% last year. Some cities like Miami and Austin are up nearly 40%. The increased costs are making housing unaffordable for millions of Americans. Frank Nothaft is the chief economist at CoreLogic. It's a financial services company that analyzes the housing market. So nice to talk to you. Thank you for your time. So last year, we know that rents rose 14% on average, but some cities, as I mentioned, like New York and Miami, 40%. That's an insane increase. What, what's actually driving this rise? It's the shortage of housing. We're having a shortage of rental housing, and we're having a shortage of homes available for sale on the marketplace. Is there an impact of inflation on housing? What we've seen is that the inflation that we've seen in home prices and rents have made it more challenging for prospective first-time home buyers in particular. Because if you're a first-time home buyer uh, and home prices are up double digit, they're up 18, 20 percent in, in some markets, uh, that means the nest egg, the savings that you need to accumulate in order to afford to buy your first home, that's also up 20 percent because that nest egg goes to the down payment, the closing cost to settle a transaction, and to have some cash in reserve after you settle on the home, your rainy day funds. So that nest egg has to grow 20% in one year. If you're a first time home buyer, are you just out of luck? Because it, you know, with those increased prices and sort of the increased cost of doing everything, it just seems like, I don't know what the fix for that could be. Is there one? Think about the, the real critical elements that you need to have in your home. How many bedrooms? How many bathrooms? Do you need to have the office from home? What, what do you need? And then maybe uh, look at that smaller set of homes that have the critical um, attributes that you need to have in your home. Just the other day, we did a story on the HGTV network, a show that they have called Bargain Block. And it's about a couple. They go to Detroit, and they fix up uh, abandoned and rundown houses and put them back on the market. And, and one of the things that they saw was the real 
racial disparity in, in who's able to get loans, right? Who gets access to mortgages? If you're talking about people who are already financially disadvantaged and also people of color, where getting the mortgage in the first place might be a bigger challenge. Some of this is a legacy, uh, sadly, of the discrimination and redlining that occurred in the United States uh, over, over many, many years. For uh, families with lower and moderate income, home ownership has been a critical element in generating wealth over time and growing wealth. But for minority families, the home ownership rate historically has been much lower than for white families. And so that's been a challenge in building that wealth, building those assets that parents can uh, uh, share then with their uh, kids. So what's your prediction as you look through 2022? Well, I think with uh, uh, mortgage rates rising and home prices being so elevated, that's going to really put a squeeze on the pocketbooks, especially for some of the marginal prospective home buyers in the marketplace. So I do expect to see that uh, home buying demand will uh, uh, be tempered, decline a bit over the course of the next uh, several months. That'll reduce some of that pressure we're seeing on home prices and in the buying uh, market in so many markets around the country. Frank Nothaft is a chief economist at CoreLogic. I appreciate you walking us through. Coming up, Super Bowl Sunday, 1980, and 52 Americans are hostages in Iran. And you're thinking that who really cares about us because the world's going on without us. How a cub reporter handed off a recording of the Super Bowl and changed history. And later, a 5G expert weighs in on safety concerns. I feel confident I would get on a plane tomorrow, but I don't have anywhere to go right now. What airlines are doing to make sure cell phones don't keep us grounded. To stay up to date with Matter of Fact, sign up for our newsletter at matteroffact.tv. Bowl 56 is next Sunday. The Cincinnati Bengals and the Los Angeles Rams will battle it out for the top title. The Bengals haven't played in a Super Bowl since 1989. The LA Rams made their last appearance in 2019. Their very first appearance in the Super Bowl was on January 20th, 1980. And that year they faced off against the Pittsburgh Steelers and the game played out against the backdrop of the Iranian hostage crisis. There were big plays on the field and off the field. Here's our special correspondent, Joey Chen. By any measure, Los Angeles was the underdog that Super Bowl Sunday. The Steelers' Terry Bradshaw was voted MVP, but there was another key player on that day and another history-making handoff, although it took place 7,500 miles and a world away. I will never forget that morning on November 4th when I'm seeing them come over the wall and the gate, there was no security whatsoever. Only 29 days earlier, Rocky Sigmund arrived at the U.S. Embassy in Tehran as a Marine guard. He became one of 52 Americans held hostage for 444 days, interrogated, threatened, and very often left completely alone. And you're thinking that who really cares about us because the world's going on without us. You had to go back to a, a good place and a good place was growing up in the town of Washington, Missouri, uh, playing football. The former captain of the Missouri State champion Washington Blue Jays says that three things saved him in those dark days, faith, family, and football. 
every football I caught, every pass I, I dropped, every block, everything that I, I reminisced and I, I dreamt back to those days. And those were, they were happy days, they were great days that really helped keep me alive. Meanwhile, an unlikely lifeline appeared outside the compound. Then a cub reporter for an LA radio station, Alex Payne grabbed his chance at the world's biggest story. So of all the hostages, he was the only private citizen. And so then that localized the story for me. And so I ran into the news director and said, hey, I'd like to go cover that story. We got a local hostage. And of and course, he, said, what? he just said, are you crazy? But less than a month later, Payne was in Tehran. Do you even know what you're getting yourself into? Not, not really. At that age, and I was 26, you know, you, you don't feel like you're gonna get in any trouble. The next day, I went to the embassy and there was a huge crowd. It was very scary because I had my tape recorder, you know, slung over my shoulder and my microphone, and I'd wade through the crowd, but they're pushing and shoving, and uh, they're yelling death to America. Slowly, Payne won over the guards and became the conduit for millions of letters from home. This is me holding up one of the cards, one of the envelopes the cards came in. Yes, America, they made a difference. They open the door and they bring in this pile of, of uh, cards. And we look at each other like, what the heck is this? And we start picking up these cards and we start reading like we're praying for you. The hostages didn't even know about the yellow ribbons of hope that Americans had tied everywhere. We had no idea that the world was reunited to try to, uh, you know, bring the hostages home. Then Payne made another special delivery, the Super Bowl. The kickoff came around 3 a.m. Tehran time. Jimming a link to a tape recorder, Payne recorded the whole game, and then... At six in the morning, I bundled up and went to the embassy and gave the cassettes to the militants. But as I was handing them the cassettes, I was holding on to them and I said to them, you promise you would allow the hostages to hear this. They said, yes, yes. And some of them there, there was several of them said, we want to hear it too. All of a sudden the guard opens the door and again, we jump and he brings in a tape recorder and he says, this is a recording of the Super Bowl. And again, we all look at each other like, recording the Super Bowl? I mean, get the heck out of here. In that unreal moment, Alex Payne scored a victory for the ages. He had a mission and he succeeded in that mission, God love him. Today, the St. Louis Soldiers Museum features Sickman's story, but he thinks of other heroes, including those who died trying to rescue the hostages and Americans still imprisoned all around the world. For him, the Super Bowl will never again be just a game but a moment when America came together to embrace other Americans. For Matter of Fact, I'm Joey Chen. When we come back, a prescription for vacant city lots filled with trash. So we took these spaces and turned them into clean and green spaces. An ER doc on the healing power of green spaces. And later, we visit the land of towering giants, finally returned to a group of tribal nations. we live has a lot to do with how healthy we are. Researchers say even something as simple as the lack of green space or parks can hurt people who have chronic conditions like asthma and can negatively impact their mental health. It can even be linked to increased violence. 
but a physician slash scientist in Philadelphia has a vision to change that. Her name is Dr. Eugenia South, and she's an assistant professor of emergency medicine at the University of Pennsylvania's Perelman School of Medicine. She is also the director of the school's Urban Health Lab. In our latest matter-of-fact listening tour, Promises of Change, I talked with Dr. South about her innovative approach to improving community health outcomes. Dr. Gina South, thank you for talking with me. Really appreciate it. You've spent a lot of your career looking at public health from a holistic approach. So one, explain how social determinants affect public health. When people think of health, they often think of the most downstream things that impact health, whether you exercise, what you eat, if you smoke. But the choices that we all have um, that go into those decisions are shaped by many forces that are um, determined by policies and laws and the structures. Give me an example. So for example, um, how much money someone makes, um, where someone lives, where we choose to send our kids to school, um, the resources we have, and all of those things um, play an impact and have an impact on health. Connect the dots for me with public health and whether or not you have a park, you know, down the block from you. So back in the 1930s when the Federal Housing Administration changed the landscape of home ownership in this country, um, one of the things that happened um, that you've covered in, in prior shows um, was redlining. And, and so neighborhoods that had a lot of black people um, were the families in the, those neighborhoods were unable to get mortgages to buy homes and they were unable to invest in their communities. And over time, with a lack of investment or intentional disinvestment, you get a deterioration of the physical landscape of a neighborhood, and that includes parks. So oftentimes today, even if you have parks in predominantly black neighborhoods, they're not well kept. Um, you have vacant lots, abandoned buildings, um, which are, are often filled with trash. And if you live in a place that has a deteriorating and dilapidated environment with trash and no trees, that has a negative impact um, on the community as a whole, including being related to gun violence. So what is an upstream solution to, to gun violence? We've done a series of experiments to see what happens when we actually change the environment. The first large-scale randomized controlled trial of places that we did took vacant lots, which um, are rampant in cities like Philadelphia, Baltimore, Cleveland, a lot of post-industrial cities. Um, these spaces are, are filled with trash. Um, so we took these spaces and turned them into clean and green spaces. So very simple and low-cost intervention. What'd you find? And what we found was pretty astounding. Um, so gun violence went down up to 29% around lots that got any intervention compared to lots that didn't get intervention. We saw that biggest impact in neighborhoods below the poverty line, indicating that our hardest hit neighborhoods, those are the places that need investment the most. Dr. Gina South, nice to have you. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Bet. You can watch our entire interview in our latest listening tour, Promises of Change, on matteroffact.tv. Up next. I was around for 3G and then 4G, and now we're at 5G. What exactly is 5G? An expert explains how the technology works.
Welcome back to Matter of Fact. Faster data speeds, larger network capacity, 5G mobile technology is touted as the key to bringing you faster internet. China, South Korea, the UK are already using the technology. But in the US, the 5G launch has been delayed several times because of safety concerns. To understand what exactly is in play, we reached out to Maggie Reardon. She's a senior reporter at CNET who spent years covering anything and everything related to cell phone issues. Maggie Reardon from CNET, thank you for talking with me. Okay, so what exactly is 5G? So 5G is the next generation in wireless service. So it's going to allow people to do things like have self-driving cars and virtual reality. All these technologies use radio frequency to be able to deliver the signal. And the real issue that people have right now is not so much with 5G and the technology that's used, but really the new radio frequency that it's going to use. Explain to me how it seems to be impacting air traffic. Like how is the spectrum kind of causing interference? Everybody gets slivers of spectrum that they can use. So the airline industry for many, many years has been using a sliver of spectrum for uh, their altimeters. And those are basically technology that's used to see how far up a plane is in the air and to gauge its distance from the ground. So it's used for landing in situations where they can't see very well. And that spectrum sits near a sliver of spectrum that the FCC repurposed from satellite users that was sold off to wireless companies that they're going to use for 5G. So the issue is that there's some possible interference between these altimeters that are in airplanes and the 5G signals that are transmitting from big radio towers. The FAA has said that they've cleared 90% of the U.S. fleet, which means that they've looked at the altimeters in those planes and they think that they're fine, that there's not going to be any significant interference that's going to cause the planes to crash upon landing. So I think the flying public should feel very confident about that. Maggie Reardon from CNET. Thanks, Maggie. When we come back, the effort to protect some of the tallest trees on Earth. some of the tallest trees on Earth have been officially returned to a group of tribal nations. The Redwood Grove is the gift of a conservation group called Save the Redwood League. In 2020, the League bought 523 acres of forest land near Mendocino, California from a logging company. Their goal, to protect these magnificent trees by transferring the land to 10 of the original tribes of the Redwood Forest region. The Sequoia Sempervirin, or coastal redwood, used to cover more than 3,000 square miles of the California coast. Now, less than 5% of old redwood growths remain. The Consortium of Tribes have renamed the forest Ti'ileden, which means fish-run place. The name is intended to honor the indigenous culture and ecology. I'm Soledad O'Brien. You're watching Matter of Fact, and we'll see you back here next week. If you missed our top stories about how inflation is impacting housing, the Super Bowl that was played against the backdrop of an international crisis, how a physician is improving the quality of life for her community, and some answers to common questions about 5G, just go to matteroffact.tv. And listen to Matter of Fact with Soledad O'Brien on your favorite podcast provider. Watch us during the week on FYI, Pluto, and YouTube.